Look in your home. Look in your office. Look in your home office. Everywhere you turn, there's so much smart. At Capella University, we think education should be smart too. Our game-changing FlexPath format puts you in control of your master's degree, so you can learn how, when, and where you want. Smart, huh? Yeah, we think so too. So if you want to take the next step in your career, make Capella your first step. Visit capella.edu to learn more. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Inside Line Formula One podcast. What's up? Okay, so guys, you know the real Formula One races have all been, you know, cancelled and postponed thanks to coronavirus. And I think everyone wanted that virtual racing or esports becomes the answer to these races. And uh, suddenly, Kunal, it seems like everyone is racing in the virtual world. Yes, and I think there was like even a cricketer that made it to Formula One's virtual races, like the most odd combination. Yeah, and there was this golfer as well. I think they're just missing a bunch of podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, anyone who's someone is trying their hand at virtual racing, and of course. We have the pro virtual racers and the pro real racers as well. And Kunal, all the former Formula One racers, they're there virtually as well. There's Jacques Villeneuve, there's Jensen Button, even Johnny Herbert. And all the while, people are also showing off their sim racing setups. You know, yeah, that's you a know, trend. It's like the, the new set of wheels everyone has to show off. So, hey, have you seen my sim racing setup yet? You know, it, it was really funny because while everyone is out there showing off their sim racing setup, Jacques Villeneuve actually used a controller to go racing. Classic. I was Absolutely. shocked because it was like the 1997 Formula One world champion and he, he's like using a simple controller and he still managed to run a great race. He finished what P6. Yes, for once in Formula One, technology doesn't matter. It's down to pure talent or so we'd like to believe, right? But in my view, the virtual races are fun. They're entertaining, but they've, they've lowered the entry barrier for Formula One. Like, I think we've already had like an overdose of all the number of races in the virtual world. It's like a race every two days or something. Yeah, unfortunately, that's all what we wanted, actually. We wanted that esports should replace all the cancelled races. So, Kunal, let's not start complaining already. I will reserve my words. Yes, yes, because honestly, I don't mind the virtual races because... There's more room for comedy, you know? It's like a comedy of errors every time I've tuned in. I don't deny that though, yes. Like... I know. And for gu uh, guys, this is for all of y'all who have tuned into this episode. Uh, remember to subscribe to us on whatever platform you found us on. That way you'll get notified every time we release a new episode. So you can stay tuned. Yes, and that's every week we have a new episode. And for this week's episode of the Inside Line F1 podcast... We give our verdict on all the virtual racing taking place. Is it hot or not? Apart from virtual racing, we're also going to talk about the classic Formula One races that everyone suddenly seems to be obsessed with. Uh, in fact, we have Lucien later on in this episode, and he's going to talk about the classic 1994 Japanese Grand Prix. Yes, that was an absolute classic. And I mean, we all know the outcome of the race. But, you know, what's to relive is how we actually reached that outcome. And that's also where the fun lies, right? Absolutely. I was watching a rerun of the 97 uh, European Grand Prix. It was at Jerez and I was watching it last week. Uh, you know, when Formula One showed it on their social media yes. handle. 
it was amazing. It was so much fun. And yeah, but you know, we'll talk more about these classic la- uh, races later on in the show, Kunal. Finally, we'll do a wrap on the latest situation around the 2020 Formula One season. The basic question that we all have in our minds is what's the earliest we could have a real Grand Prix this season? Ah, good question. Okay, Mithila. So back to the virtual Grand Prix or the not the Vietnam Grand Prix or I racing or the red racing or team red racing. I don't know. My point is there's just so many different races and classes of races that I don't really know what to follow. I mean, the only option for me is to literally unfollow all of them <laughs> because I just think that there's like an overdose, you know, at some already in our lives. Uh, Kunal, I have to say then that you better start getting used to this because I don't see the situation changing anytime soon. The only good part is that I can skip all of them and I wouldn't have missed anything, at least not on the racing front. And, you know, I think if 25 races is what we could have uh, on the Formula One calendar at some point as the outer limit. We've probably had 22 virtual races already, you know, <laughs> so it's a lot of cramping up uh, in our schedules. It is a lot going on. But Kunal, I must say you're quite wrong if you think that people only tune in for, you know, the racing stuff in these virtual races. Like, for example, I see whatever I can for, you know, all the non-racing banter and this whole non-team PR controlled banter yeah, that yeah. happens between the drivers and it's so interesting to Yes, watch. the drivers are actually more themselves than those PR robots, as we've called them, you know, at times again. Exactly. And you know, where else could we have ever seen Charles Leclerc select a Red Bull racing car to go racing in? I was like, mind blown. Or then we saw Leclerc clip his favorite barrier in Baku. That was awesome. In the virtual world and the real world, we get the same Charles Leclerc, the driver (laughs) at least, right? And uh, Leclerc actually crashing into the same barrier uh, as he did in Baku in qualifying last year. I, I think the very fact that he could make fun of it was also a lot of fun, you know. It was really funny. And look, look, he's following uh, Lando Norris's lead on Twitch. And I am absolutely loving his stream as well. Uh, in fact, Leclerc actually said that sim racing was tougher than real racing. I actually remember reading that as well. I mean, I'm sure sim racing is tougher, but it's just that it's meant for a different audience. Uh, and that audience doesn't include me. I feel that time and again. <laughs> the and millennial audience said you Yeah, mean. I mean, I don't qualify in that audience. Said. I'm pretty sure of that, right? And I actually remember some more important things that Charles Leclerc said. That he said that he doesn't like pineapple on his pizza. Ooh, breaking news. <laughs> yes, I'm sure, guys, all of us have tried this at least once in our lifetime. And maybe the second time to see if the first reaction was good enough or not. <laughs> But this then made me wonder, what does Charles Leclerc think about Sergio Perez's toppings of choice? I mean, you all remember Perez's over-the-top toppings pizza from last year, right? Yeah, over-the-top toppings. And Kunal, I cannot believe you have changed this conversation to pizza. Oh my God. But I'm very much a part of the pizza-loving audience. So why not? You know, we can order a pizza after we record this episode. (laughs) You mean a virtual pizza or the real deal? Uh, We'll get you a real deal and it's on me. All the eight slices. You're lucky that my favorite is like, you know, the plain cheese margarita. Very classic. But you know what? Let's get back to talking about Charles Leclerc. Uh, Bernie Ecclestone said that Lewis Hamilton would struggle in Ferrari as Leclerc's teammate. I found that interesting. Yeah, but for once, I agree with Bernie Ecclestone, right? And uh, But before we move on, you know, what's our final verdict on all the virtual racing happening out there in the world? Well, I have to say, I don't mind it, Kunal. I get all these new story angles to pursue for our podcast. And honestly, it is entertaining. Well, for me, I'm okay with it once in a while. 
But you know, if this becomes like the future of motorsport, I will be forced to find a new passion. That's Ooh. what I feel, right? And okay, maybe I would react differently if the drivers competing in the virtual, you know, races were the same as we cheer on in the real races. You know, I don't know. Well, but, that's a very big statement to make. But that is the truth. You know, I I would say Formula E is probably the future of motorsport. It seems definitely less uh, gimmicky and maybe just as much fun. And like virtual racing, Formula E also gives drivers almost equal machinery. So, hey, why not? By the way, that reminds me. So, Formula E CEO, he's been making comments on Formula One's budget cap. Uh, that was also something worth talking about. Well, anyone who's able to think of a lower number than what's being discussed right now in the world of Formula One is happy to express themselves. The current number being fought is 175 million a year or 150 million a year. And I think Alejandro has turned around and said 75 million a year, right? Yeah, so, and he also said something else that was quite interesting, that post uh, the pandemic, there's going to be mass consolidation in the world of motorsport. And yeah. that he sees, uh, you know, series either disappear or merge or something like that. Well, at this moment, everyone's views and opinions hold good because we actually don't know or can't say what the new normal will be going forward. All we can hope that is motorsport becomes more affordable for new teams and, and drivers. Awesome. So moving on, Kunal, I know that we're going to talk about classic races. Uh, that's the next point of discussion for us. Uh, but you know what? I was doing my research and I realized that the Concord Agreement is yet to be signed with teams for 2021 and onwards. And I think that's probably a blessing in disguise for all of Formula One to relook at the agreement, I mean, uh, you know, this pandemic could spark some sense in the sport to drive equitable revenues for all the teams, something that's always been spoken about, something that everyone's wanted, but nobody sort of put in action. And uh, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if a team chooses to leave because of issues with the Concord Agreement alone. I mean, uh, pre-virus, uh, a team losing would have meant, uh, you know, the team's loss. But post the virus, losing any team will actually be Formula One's loss, without a doubt. That is true. And, you know, that's also some huge shift in power. And politics. Yeah, yeah I, like, I really assume and I hope that the sport uses this opportunity to just correct all these historic wrongdoings, so to say. <laughs> awesome. So now let's move on to talking about the classics. Uh, so the 1986 Australian Grand Prix... 96 Spanish Grand Prix and the 97 European Grand Prix. Uh, these are some of the legendary races that Formula One's been throwing at us. You know, it's a better way to keep us entertained. I think these classics should actually be used as a marketing tool, irrespective of whether we have cancelled races or not. I, I think it's, it's probably one of the learnings in marketing Formula One and Liberty Media would have had through the pandemic, right? Because uh, these classic races sort of bring back the old audiences and they show the new audiences of Formula One has reached where it has today. And, you know, it also shows some great racing and racers from the past. So why not? Exactly. I saw like, what, 80% of the race in Jerez. I mean, I knew all along what was going to happen between Jacques Villeneuve and Schumacher. But, you know, in time, we end up forgetting uh, the, the, the nitty-gritties and, the, you know, the details. You know, how Villeneuve drove a cracker of a race to catch Schumacher in the first place. Yeah. Like, you know, the whole build-up before the act that finally got Schumacher disqualified that season. Yes. And, you know, these days we actually get treated to Jacques Villeneuve on camera with his over-the-top comments. Sometimes outrageously honest comments, right? But it was such an awesome treat 
to see Jacques Villeneuve in the cockpit, you know, winning his world championship out there, right? And uh, this reminds me of one of our listeners, Georges, if I pronounce the name correctly. He's a big Jacques Villeneuve fan. And Georges, I really hope that you're enjoying the broadcast of these classics as well. As we are. So, uh, you know, Kunal, since classics are the flavor of the season, we have the fantastic Lucien on with his segment. And he's going to be talking about the 1994 Japanese Grand Prix this week. Right. Over to you, Lucien. The 1994 Japanese Grand Prix. The 1994 season was notable for a number of reasons. Senna moving to Williams and then losing his life at Imola. The emergence of Michael Schumacher as a real title contender in the vastly improved Benetton. And Damon Hill in only his second full season having to take on a leadership driver role and amazingly finding himself a true title contender. Now Schumacher should have wrapped up the title well before this race. Such was his dominance early on. But due to the team and driver getting caught up in various controversies, and seeing Schumacher banned from a couple of races, the year was shaping up like no one had predicted. Qualifying saw Schumacher and Hill take the front row on Friday, and in those days, qualifying was a two-part, two-day event. But due to torrential rain, it was settled on Friday times. Interestingly, Frenston was third for Sauber, and Nigel Mansell in one of his guest drives at Williams was fourth, and Johnny Herbert, new in at Benetton, was fifth. The race got underway in heavy rain and Schumacher performed one of his characteristic sweeping manoeuvres to block Hill. And given the tragedies of the year and the poor visibility, I'm surprised he was allowed to get away with this. But in no time there were other accidents, a safety car and then Gianni Morbidelli crashed, followed by Martin Brundle, who collected and injured a marshal breaking his leg. So the race was red flagged. The race was restarted after a long delay, but in those days, red flag races were resumed with aggregate times taken into consideration. So to win, you had to win based on time, not necessarily track position. And Schumacher had nearly a seven second lead. So Schumacher led away and pitted earlier than Hill. So Hill took a commanding lead and only took one pit stop compared to Schumacher's two. Both drivers had an advantage and a disadvantage. That being track position versus fresh tyres. For a while it looked to favour Hill, as Schumacher seemed stuck behind Mika Hakkinen. When Hill pitted, a right rear would not come off, so he only changed three tyres, and that is a very interesting thing to consider in the last few laps. As Schumacher pitted again, he came out with a 15 second deficit with only nine laps to go, but fresh tyres. Other things were happening in this race, notably the amazing battle lap after lap between Jean Alessi and Nigel Mansell, but with three laps to go, Hill led Schumacher by 5.2 seconds. Two to go, 4.2 seconds. One to go, 2.4 seconds. And as Hill crossed the line for the last time, he led on track. But there was a short break to consider aggregate times. It turned out that he just beat Schumacher by 3.3 seconds. Amazingly, on worn tyres, extremely worn, and one that was not even changed, Hill had beaten Schumacher in the rain and on strategy, at a very crucial point in the season too. With one race to go, Hill was now one point behind Schumacher in the driver's title and the Williams team had done most of their winning in the second half of the season. So Schumacher was worried indeed. A championship that was a foregone conclusion was suddenly looking shaky and Hill, the nice guy, not considered, was suddenly elevated from zero to hero and would head to Adelaide for the final round with a real chance of winning the title. And he really should have done so in hindsight. But we all know what happened there. Thank you so much, Lucien. That was super interesting, like always. Yeah, and Williams in the 90s, you know, that was classic in every way. And I really hope that they find a way to get back there, you know, to their classic ways from the 90s. And I think all of Formula One will go mad 
literally speaking yeah you know i'll tell you what else could drive all of formula 1 mad kunal it's an announcement of the first race of the 2020 season i mean i know it's not happening for some time but when it does happen i think we're all going to lose our yeah. shit yeah so in fact Absolutely. let's follow up on what's the latest on that front right so just hours before we sat to record i read that uh, belgium has banned cultural festivals and gatherings till the end of august so there probably goes the belgian grand prix as well but uh, can you actually believe it like that's the end of august already it's like we've lost the first half of the season and the entire summer break i think the only hope at the moment is austria because the sports minister said that two races in july could be possible and i think this would only be a uh, television only races of course yeah i was in discussion with christian silt of formula money and uh, there was another big problem that we ended up discussing a problem for formula 1 to solve before we sort of host a race and that was about international borders being closed you know formula 1 drivers are scattered all over the globe right now in europe in in the middle east in asia and so on in even in australia right and there are travel restrictions there are quarantines for those crossing borders and so on i think in this situation the only way would be for formula 1 to get like special permissions for the drivers to fly and cross borders but i think it'll be good to ask if and why any country would make such an exception absolutely like making an exception so that a driver can go race like really in the middle yeah, of a pandemic exactly and the only other way that formula 1 can sort of make this happen is getting those very exceptions in place so that's one and then holding up all the drivers and team personnel in a country say for example the uk and then move them around as a circus troupe and you know restrict all their non formula 1 movements <laughs> and travel and then you know we'll actually go back to saying formula 1 is a circus literally, literally speaking right but going back to all the travel movements that i was talking about the question is why would any driver agree to such a confinement again is it just to race in a formula 1 race just literally to race. Yeah? <laughs> i mean the international borders uh, problem is a problem that liberty media cannot solve with money yeah and just picking up on this thought i was also thinking about hosting more than one race at a venue like what's in it for race promoters or broadcasters or anyone else like will there actually be double income you know for the sport in case there are two races held on the same weekend that's a good point and you know like we've been saying the last several episodes formula 1 and liberty media will have to think differently to bring us the 2020 uh, formula 1 season Uh, all prior models of operations and business will have to be reconsidered and rejigged and redone that's my honest opinion yeah by the way motor gp they've ruled out hosting double header races or you know like two races on the same weekend for this very reason like fans will of course have to races but you know the race promoters broadcaster sponsors Why would they pay for two races when it's in effect just you know one race being split into two? That's a very smart way to put it. Yes. And let's see if we have a season after all and if we do just how many races make it to the calendar and uh if there are many races that make it to the calendar let's see how many of them end up being for tv only purposes by the way the dutch grand prix they ruled out the possibility of a tv only race and the reason was interesting they said that formula 1's return to the netherlands needs to be celebrated and it cannot be done without the fans well everyone's got a point of view especially you know if max verstappen ends up winning the dutch grand prix i don't see how the all of netherlands will not celebrate right exactly yeah and coming to the point of view nicolas latifi has his point of view that he's earned his spot 
in Formula One. Yeah, Kunal, I think we have more important things to discuss than Nicholas Latifi, but... Uh, but he's earned his spot <laughs> in Formula One. If he insists. His, yes, okay. If he insists. Right, but uh, on to more important things, uh, specifically to the 2020 Formula One calendar. Frederick Vassior of Alfa Romeo Racing, or Sauber as we call it, uh, he said that a cramped calendar might actually turn out to be more expensive for the teams, you know, if they are constantly on the go, right? And Jean Todt said that two, three races a month for five or six months of 2020, that's sort of the target of how uh, Formula One wishes to have 15 to 18 odd races this season. Interesting. And Kunal, speaking of Jean Todd, that reminds me, uh, his final year with the FI will be 2021. And he said that he will depart once his current term ends. Adios, Jean. Yeah. And, you know, I found it really funny or interesting that he won't be around in an official capacity to see the impact of the new rules he's helped co-write. Yeah, that's actually a good point. But if there's one thing I'd like for Jean Todt to do before he goes, it would be making the fuel flow settlement with Ferrari public, right? So he's gone on to the record to say that he wanted to make the entire settlement and the entire discussion public, but Ferrari didn't allow him to do so. Oh God, you know, one more thing that Formula One should pursue after this pandemic is transparency. Like, you know, we still don't know if the sport's most historic team was cheating last season or not. So we just have to assume. But, you know, in all of this, and of course it's unconnected, Sebastian Vettel has said that Ferrari's culture is misunderstood outside of Italy, right? So my question here is, does this mean that it's only the Italians who understand Ferrari's race strategy? Because, <laughs> you know, even their race strategy is definitely misunderstood outside of Italy. I think, uh, I, I would agree with you, Kunal. I think, and also, uh, the only Italian in Formula One, Antonio Giovinazzi. So he expressed his love for bees in a very strange interview last week. Okay, I'll tell you what's more strange. I think strange. that was also misunderstood, probably. <laughs> Well, I tell you what was more strange. Roman Grosjean's F1 live attempt, it failed due to technical issues and they couldn't do it at the time they, they wanted to do it. Like, And it's what's so strange is in today's times, everyone is going live at like the flick of a button. Like each time I get onto Instagram, like five people are doing some live session or the other. Fernando Alonso is doing a live session every single day, right? And how is it that it's only Roman Grosjean who struggle? That guy is really, really jinxed. Huh? Yeah, well. <laughs> but uh, speaking of Roman Grosjean, so a cancelled 2020 F1 season, I think it could further Grosjean's career by one whole season. Or on the other hand, just curtail it without a farewell race. So one of the two extreme situations. Yes, and likewise for Daniel Ricciardo, you know, your favorite, favorite Cyril Abitabol, he said that Renault may or may, may have to make a decision for 2021, even if there are no races in 2020 and he was talking about Ricardo's contract extension plus his hefty salary you know towards which Ricardo has agreed to take a pay cut for now at least yeah basically that means that if we do have a 2020 F1 season Daniel Ricardo is going to have a slower car and a lesser salary ouch yeah can't be more honest than that very ouch <laughs> <laughs> well it will be interesting if drivers are let go off without a single race being contested this season. But 
you know, I assume it'll be for absolute survival reasons for the Formula One teams. Yeah, okay, great. Kunal, I'm going to shift to our final point and I'm going to now bring back Nicholas Latifi into this chat. You know, since it's like the last few minutes of this episode. so like Back back a minute since exactly, that one. Exactly, <laughs> you read my mind. So uh, Latifi's dad has loaned 50 million to Williams for 2020. Basically cash uh, flow to just kind of keep the team afloat. And uh, as uh, security, Williams has pledged some of their iconic racing cars, uh, like the ones which uh, they won world championships with and so on. True. And, you know, my first thought when I read about this piece of news was like, wow, here's another billionaire father doing whatever it takes to make sure his son makes his debut in Formula One in 2020. But I was also wondering what Latifi is thinking. Like his dad is invested in Williams and in McLaren. Uh, So why isn't his dad just pushing his case forward with McLaren, you know? Okay, so that's where we're going to end this episode with this very question. Uh, You're welcome to share your thoughts with us via our Facebook page. It's the Inside Line F1 podcast on Facebook. And just to guide, you know, just for the record, uh, from the 2014 field of Formula 3 drivers, Nicholas Latifi was the last one to get his break in Formula 1. The others were Ma- uh, Max Verstappen, Esteban Ocon, and Antonio Giovinazzi. Interesting. Right. So on that note, ladies and gentlemen, we will see you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Adios. Adios, guys. Bodega, 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 Alpha and Omega. <clears throat> Siamese sailors sell celery sandwiches. A wing about a serving platter. Hey, hey Jamie. Yes. Uh, did uh, Did you want to try reading that line on the script there? Oh yeah. Let's see. Uh, you could say big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive. That one. Yes. Yeah. No, I'm just not warmed up yet. Shouldn't be long. Detector test. Bundle your home and auto with Progressive today. The marmot mangled by Mushu Pork Pancake. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.